0: Well, good morning church, glad to see you and welcome, glad you're here. In just a moment we will be sharing in an offering, so you can get ready for that if, you, if, you're, if you'd like to. If you're new or visiting, don't even worry about it, but we will be doing that in just a, mo- in a moment. But before that, uh, I just want to give a, a moment and I want to recognize Russ and Bree. Um, I was going to say, you're in your assigned seat. That's usually where you sit, so I appreciate that. Uh, this Sunday, as you just heard, is Russ and Bree's last Sunday. Uh, they are heading to a new day, a new venture, a new ministry uh, in a great church in Connecticut. Uh, they've been here for seven years, plus seven plus, And we are so thankful for you. Would you stand first so people can see who you are? And then with the rest of you, show them your appreciation. <laughs> Stay, remain standing. Remain standing if you would. I want to offer a prayer for you guys. Just stay where you're at. Father, Thank you for Russ and Brie. Thank you for their lives. We've had the privilege of not just having them here ministering with us. We've had the privilege of being with them, knowing them, watching them, watching their family grow, watching them grow, and we give thanks for them. And Lord, as they leave this, I'm sure today is an emotional day, even talking to Brie already. A lot of emotions in this day, but Lord, let those emotions come, let them come, let them go. It's part of who we are, but we celebrate not only their ministry here, but we celebrate what is yet to come come. Lord Jesus, I pray that as they leave this place and go to a new place, a new place of ministry, I pray that you will bless them. I pray that they would be successful beyond their wildest dreams and imagination. Not success for the sake of success, but success for your kingdom. Thank you, Lord Jesus, in our lives for oftentimes being able, for us being able to appreciate in a move or a change extra benefits. They get to move next to family and have family around them and support them, watch the kids, all those things. Thank you for that generous act on your part. And we ask your richest blessing upon them. As they have a full week and this week and next and a final packing and all of that, the things that they haven't thought of, would you go ahead of the way and prepare the way? we ask your blessing upon them in Jesus name amen stay remain standing don't sit down you people are so bent on sitting down before you sit down listen carefully don't touch anybody don't hold anybody we don't want to be against the COVID laws but turn around at a safe distance and say good morning all right do it do it Now you can sit down. You know, some of you make me laugh. You're such literalists. I'm watching you turn around and go, (laughs) come on, people. Good morning to you. So glad that you're here. And I'm so glad to be here. I have been so excited. Side note, do you know it's only 13 Sundays before Christmas? I just thought I'd tell you that. I don't know why. Um, Ushers, come on. You know, you don't have to sit back there and wave the offering basket at me. Yes, I did forget, but I would have got it sooner or later. (laughs) I'm going to pray for the offering. Yes, I hate forgetting because they hold it over me. (laughs) Father, remind us again, it's all yours, it's not ours. Uh, We didn't come into this world or anything. We're not taking anything with us. All of it is on loan. So remind us to be good stewards of what you have given us. We give this morning joyfully and generously. I ask that you bless every, every, every dollar, every, every gift that's given. I pray that you bless every giver. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. <clears throat> So I have. I have been anxious. In fact, my wife yesterday heard me throughout the day walking through the house saying, I get to preach tomorrow. I get to preach tomorrow. I get to preach tomorrow. This morning at 530, I didn't feel the same. Uh, it was like, I got to get and preach today. But I am so happy to be able to be back and sharing God's word together. And we're going to begin this morning a series for the next couple of weeks, a series called One Question. And as I said, I gave a little bit of introduction last week, we have one question we're going to look at, one question we're going to explore together in these next few weeks together. So one question, one question, now catch this this opening line, we're going to explore one question that answers just about everything in life. That's a pretty good question right there. One question that answers just about everything in life. I want to talk about this question. I want to learn about this question because I'm hoping and I'm praying that you will learn the value of this question and actually begin to regularly utilize this question in your life. It's a question, it's a question that if you'll ask it and if you'll answer it, it can bring instant clarity to some of life's most difficult, confusing moments. Think about that. A question, one question that can bring clarity to some of life's most complex situations. It's a question that anyone and everyone can ask, and yet when you ask it, it becomes incredibly personal to you. So it's a question anyone can ask, but yet when you ask it, all of a sudden it's not their question, it's a question tailored to who you are. This question can save you a lot of wasted money. This question can save you a lot of wasted tears, it can save you a lot of pain, it can save you a lot of anxiety, a lot of distress, a lot of sadness, a lot of trouble. In fact, if you can go back, now I don't want you to dwell here, but if you go back in your mind and you can think about a moment in your life, a greatest regret moment. If you can go back and think of some moment, some greatest regret, something you did, something you said, some action, something that you look back now and think, man, I wish that never happened. If you can go back in your mind, if you could superimpose this question over that moment in your life, you will probably discover that you could have saved yourself all of the pain if you would have asked that question back then and processed it. So now what is the question? Well, we're not there yet. First things first. First. The question and the idea for the series is not original to me. I wish I was that smart. Uh, This was a COVID-related thing, meaning back when we were all locked down and couldn't go anywhere and do anything, you know, I lost my taste. So You can only not eat for so long. You can only not watch TV for so long, get bored. So I was reading like crazy, and it was birthed out of that. Now, this question I'm going to pose to you is a question that I have used in my life. And when I've used it, it has radical results. I would also say... That this question is a question I have not used in my life. And the results are to be expected. Second thing I want you to tell you is this. That whether if you're a longtime follower of Jesus in your walk with God. This message, this series will help you in your walk with God. It will take you deeper in your walk with God. It will strengthen you in your walk with God. So if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, you stick with us all along the way. But I also want to say, if you're new in this journey. You're new in your faith or perhaps you don't have a faith yet. You're trying to figure out this God thing, trying to figure out this Bible thing. I guarantee you this series will help you and will be incredibly helpful if you walk through it with us together. And this question applies to every area of your life now the 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 biblical starting place for today is going to be ephesians chapter 5 we're not going to get there quite yet but that's the place we're going to start and ephesians is written by the apostle paul we're going to look at the words the apostle paul and the apostle paul is going to actually speak into our lives now for some of you who are new or perhaps just starting your journey i got to tell you some things about the apostle paul some of you will know this already but i want to make sure we're all on the same page paul has one incredible story Now, the first thing I want to remind you, Paul is a historical figure, which means whether you're a church person or not, whether you're a believer, a follower of God or not, everyone in the world believes the Apostle Paul existed. He's a historical figure. So the Apostle Paul existed. He was real. People would all agree to that. And on top of that, they would agree that the Apostle Paul wrote virtually half of the New Testament. So that's not anything disputed. And Paul's story is really quite unusual. If you're new to the church, maybe you're back in church. Maybe you've been burned by church along the way. Maybe you've been burned by Christians. If you are first time and trying to figure the God thing out and trying to think about is the Bible real? Is God real? And if you have any questions or hesitancy, I just want you to know Paul's your guy. You see, the Apostle Paul did not step into the pages of history as a Christian and as a devout follower of Jesus. If you know the story of the Apostle Paul, he didn't step into history as this devout lover of God and I will follow Jesus. He steps into the pages of history as one who hates Christians. In fact, it was his lifelong journey to destroy Christianity and to put a stop to Christianity and the way that he would do that is by killing Christians and persecuting them. That's how Paul came into the historical story. So he did not come on the scene as a devout lover of Jesus. He came as a hater of Jesus. And on top of all of that, in his quest for putting an end to Christianity, he did so with both political and moral authority. What that means, he had political permission to go after Christians and to stop it by the Roman Empire and the Roman government. And he had moral permission by the religious leaders of that day because they saw this Jesus movement as something to be stopped. So here he is hunting down Christians, persecuting them and killing them. And he's got the backing of the government and the quote-unquote church to do so. So he couldn't have been in a better place, if you will. To carry out his mission and dream. But if you know the story, he's out killing Christians, he's out persecuting them, and then one day, yes, in one day, he goes from trying to get rid of all the Jesus followers to becoming a Jesus follower, all in one day. It is an incredible story. Let me give you perspective so you get really the incredible nature of the story. Let's just say for just a moment that you are Republican and you are hardcore. You're a hardcore Republican. I mean, you're card-carrying in the whole nine yards. And you're on your way to work, and you're in the car, and you got the radio on, and before you can turn to the station real quickly, President Biden comes on, and you hear 30 seconds of a speech by President Biden. And your life has radically changed. You get done, and you think, wow, incredible. You get out of your car, you go to work. And your mission now is to take every Republican you can find and turn them into a Democrat because President Biden has changed your mind and your heart. So now you got a lifelong mission to change Republicans and Democrats. Now, I'm watching The Room. <clears throat> and I'm a pretty good communicator, so I know how to read a room. And some of you, I'm not reading real well. Some of you are got this look like, so let me include everybody. Okay, you're a hardcore Democrat and you're coming and you're driving to work and you catch a 30-second part of a former President Trump's speech and you go, oh, unbelievable, I'm in. And you devote your whole entire life from that day forward of changing Democrats to Republicans because your heart's been changed. Some of you still aren't so convinced. Let me give you one more. You're a hardcore anti-vaxxer, you know, the whole thing, you know, anti-vaxxer and you're listening to the radio and you hear a short talk by Dr. Fauci. See, now I got your attention, see? See, you know, as a communicator, here's two good things and a bad thing. You know you got everybody when they're smiling. You know you're in trouble when they're smiling and shaking no at the same time. That's the bad thing. My point of all of that is to get you to see Paul's story is radical. Listen, and you know, don't raise your hand, don't speak out. If If you look at the Republican story and think, never happened... Or if you're a Democrat and you think never happened, or if you think anti-vax never happened, that switch would happen. You need to have that thought when you look at the Apostle Paul's story, because that's where he's at. He's as hardcore as he can be for the cause of stopping Christianity. So that's why I come back to say this: if you have any hesitancy about the scriptures, questions about the Bible, questions about this whole Jesus thing, I want to say it to again: Paul's your guy. You ought to listen to Paul because his story is one incredible story. He's your man. So Paul's writing this letter. He's writing it to a church in Ephesus, and that's why it's called Ephesians. But it's actually a letter that's being written to multiple little churches and Ephesus, the focal point. But this letter's going out all over. And basically, we won't be going through all of Ephesians this morning, but basically here's the intent Paul has. Paul is writing to tell people this. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're supposed to look different. It's that simple. If you say you're a Christian, if you say you're a follower of Jesus, your life is supposed to look different than the rest of the world. I mean, bottom line, he goes, so if you want to get the message real simply, being a Christian should mean something, and it should show up on how you live your life. So let's look at what he says. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. For God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way follow God's example therefore as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God but among you there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people nor should there be obscenity foolish talk or even coarse joking which are all out of place but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, no impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore don't be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of the darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. So Paul begins by simply saying, as I stated already, listen, you're supposed to look different at once you lived in the darkness at one time we could excuse it at one time you can write it off because you're in the dark you didn't know any better but you're not in the dark anymore that's what Paul says you're not in the dark actually you are now in the light now you are a follower of Jesus which he says two things one first of all if you're going to be a follower of Jesus you're supposed to treat people differently see it's okay for the world to be angry at someone else and to give them a hard time or to disrespect them but not you doesn't matter what they do to you, you treat them with respect. You honor people because that's what it does, means, in part, to be a follower of Jesus. On top of it, he says, not only do you not treat people, you mean, do you treat people with a respect and dignity, but on top of it, he then says, and by the way, let's talk about sexual morality. Let's put that into the mix. He says, you're not to be people that are wrapped up in sexual immorality. You're not to be people who are full of greed or of lust. That's not for you. So he says, so no immoral thoughts or actions of any kind. That's kind of tough, right? But he said none. No obscene language, no coarse language, no coarse words. It's getting tougher. No greed, no impurity, no immorality, not even a hint of sexual immorality. Now admittedly, these are some pretty hard things to put down in a letter. And I don't mean it's not hard to write. Your goodness knows, you and I have all written letters one time. It's really easy to spew something in a letter. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about it's really hard to have something of such importance that you want to have people change how they live and expect it's going to happen by letter. I mean, this is the kind of dialogue you need to have in person. So it's kind of a hard one to put out there by letter because the truth of it is people tend to be able to take letters and put them in the drawer, They can ignore that. I'll give you an example. When I was a kid growing up, middle school, high school, summer vacation would come, and you know, mom and dad would go to work, and I was the youngest. My brother and sister are ten and seven years older than I am. So I mean, you know, high school, middle school, I'm I'm an only child from that perspective. And they would go to work, and I'd get up at nine. 10, 11, kind of hard to know. Um, It wasn't like I was up watching cable all night because I'm going to date myself. This was pre-cable. And when I was a kid, this is still on our TV with the antenna. At midnight or close to midnight, you know, the national anthem came on, an American flag, and they stopped broadcasting from the night. Some of you are looking at me like complete bewilderment. But that's exactly what it was. And except for Friday night, it was a little later to be the Late Late Show, which was a movie. That was it. This was just pre cable. But I wake up, whatever, get up, go about my day, get up, go get some breakfast, and there'd be a, a note on the kitchen table from my dad. And it would say, Hey, if you get a chance, cut the grass today, mow the lawn yeah right yeah uh-huh you know i set that cereal bowl right on top of it I never saw it you know or the note would slip off the table but here's the difference if he was looking at me and he said cut the grass today the grass can't get cut I don't have any excuses then but see when it comes to a note when it comes to a letter it's easy to set those things aside Now, on top of it coming by a letter. So he's asking them, let's be honest, he's asking them to be doing some pretty radical stuff. They're really asking to toe the line. And on top of asking them to do it in a letter, on top of that, they're living in a culture where everything goes. So we're not talking about them being in a culture where it's conducive to do what Paul says. It's conducive to do what God wants them to do. They're living in a culture where it's going against them. They're living in a culture very similar to ours. When it comes to sexual immorality, the cultural mo- uh, thought of that day, this day is, hey, it's only sex. If you can, ha- if you can have sex, go have it. Don't worry about it. Uh, they lived in a culture of that day and this day of subjective morality. What that means is it's subject to what you want it to be. You decide what's right and wrong. You decide in the moment whether it's moral or not. No absolutes there. Just make your decision and go with it. So that's the culture they're in, very similar to our culture. And it's almost like Paul is recognizing that and understands that these are some pretty heavy topics by letter to get after. I kind of wish I could do it in person. But on top of that, not only is it hard, it's the kind of conversation you want to have in person, but you also have to give him a starting place. See, it's real easy for me to stand up here and say, listen, do this and this and this and don't do this and this and this. Amen, go home. But don't you wish along the way somebody would go, well, how do I not do that? How do I keep from doing that? And so I want to do that for you. I want to make it easier this morning. I want to help you get to that place. So let me give you a starting place um, on how to live your life well, of how to live your life better, of how to to live a better life. How to live your life in such a way that's honoring to God and how to live your life in such a way that's honoring to people. So let me give you the first step. Let me give you a question. A question that you can ask yourself. A question that you can ask yourself that can lead you out of the lifestyle you're in. A question that you can ask yourself that can get you out of the hole that you've dug yourself into. This question gets you out of that hole? Better yet, this question can keep you from digging the hole in the first place. This question can keep you from trouble to start with. Can you tell we're getting closer to the question? We're really close, but we're not there yet. And then we back to our text, Ephesians 5, verse 15. So be very careful then how you live, he says. So it's almost like he said, hey, I got the letter part. I'm telling you what to do, but let's get to some practical things. So be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Let's unpack that a little bit. A couple of things to notice. He says, be careful how you live. That word live is important. It's a derivative of the word walk. Its root word is actually walk. So he's saying this, hey, be careful how you walk. Now that fits the the storyline because they're in a society where they basically walked everywhere. So he says, be careful how you walk. Um, Look around you. That's what the word careful means. The word live means walk, and the word is careful means actually look around you. So look around you when you walk. You need to know that when you're walking along in life, there's going to be things that you do not want to walk into. There's things you don't want to walk on, and there's things you don't want to walk in. So the bottom line, he says, be careful. That's the thing be careful where you go. And then he says to be careful, not careless when you walk. And then he adds to that this piece. He specifically begins to add a little piece where it says, so instead of just being careful, uncareful, I, I don't want you to walk as unwise. I want you to be wise. So he adds a piece. He adds wisdom in there. Paul equates unwise with being careless. And he equates wise with being careful. So he says, I want you to be wise. I don't want you to be unwise. Let me give you a definition. What's unwise mean? Well, unwise is you just do whatever you feel like. You do whatever you want with whomever you want, whenever you want, and don't worry about the consequences. Just do it. That is unwise. What is wise? Wise is look at where you're going, look at what you have, look at where you've been, and pay attention to the consequences. See, that would be wise. But then we keep going. Verse 16. He says, now making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Let's unpack this a little bit. Now, we're going to look at this verse a little more closely in a week or two. But to begin with this, this is a time-sensitive statement. What he is saying is this. When he is saying the idea of make the most of every opportunity, if you dig into that, you realize it's time-sensitive where he's basically saying this. You don't have all the time in the world. So he's basically saying, your time is critical. Your greatest asset in your life is your time. You know that, right? That's your greatest asset. I would also say to you that your most irreplaceable asset is your time. Which means once it's gone, it's gone. You can't replace it. You can't get more. You can't create more of it. So he says, you don't have all the time in the world. You think you do, you're wrong. None of us knows what happens next oftentimes in my life i have that sense ah, i get it done tomorrow whatever the case like all the time in the world I know, I know bottom line is folks there is no guarantee that my next breath my next word isn't my last and the same for you so paul says listen you want to be very careful how you walk because regardless of how you fool yourself you don't have all the time in the world and then he adds because he says the days are evil So don't waste your time here on the wrong things because the days are evil. What does he mean by that? This is actually pretty important for us to understand and be very practical about. Because there's a lot of Christians today. There's a lot of thought process out there in Christianity that views the world today and views it in the sense that says, man, we are living in evil, evil times today. And I would say, well, yes, but the Apostle Paul said that 2,000 years ago. So when you say to someone, they go, oh, it's so evil. And you go, well, Apostle Paul said evil 2,000 years ago. Then the response is this, yeah, but it's more evil now. And I want to say these next words to to quite honestly encourage you. If you ever find yourself in that place where you're thinking to yourself, man, it's evil, it's more evil today than ever, it's more evil today than it's ever been in history. If you think that, Then I want to remind you that either you have forgotten, don't know, or somehow are disregarding some incredibly bad history, evil history, if you think this is the worst. I mean, can you say Sodom and Gomorrah? That was one evil time in biblical history. How about a king named Manasseh? Remember the story of King Manasseh? Yeah, he's a guy who actually took his son, we believe even sons, and threw them alive into the fire as a sacrifice to the gods and he led all the people to do that as well so imagine living in a world with your head leader throwing his living child into a fire and inviting everyone else to do that that's pretty evil if you go back and look in biblical history king herod remember the christmas story that we love remember what king herod did he took all the little boys under two and had them killed now please know this isn't just ink on a page The people living in that time that had a little boy who was under two, they watched their child taken out of their arms and killed. I mean, evil time. Nero. Nero burned Christians at the stake in his garden as human torches for his parties. He wanted to throw nighttime parties and to light it up, he lit up Christians. Now, Paul didn't miss any of that history. Paul's well aware of all these things. So you should ask yourself the question, when Paul says the days are evil and you see what real evil looks like, and one I would encourage you, makes our day look better, right? But you should ask the question, what did Paul mean then when he said the days are evil? What's the intention there? Andy Stanley explains it this way. He does a great job. He says basically this. Whenever you read the idea that the days are evil, he said, look at it like this. If you pick up your feet, and you just go with the current of the culture, you will end up in a place where you don't want to end. Isn't that good? The days are evil meaning this. We are living in a day in a culture where if you just pick up your feet and decide to go with the culture, that culture is going to take you away from God, not closer to God. That's evil. It's going to take you places where you don't want to go. If you allow yourself to drift with a culture relationally, you're going to find yourself relationally places you don't want to be. If you're going to drift with a culture financially, if you listen to every ad you see on television, you're going to find yourself financially in a place you don't want to be. When you think about your relationship with your kids, with your husband, with your wife, the currents of this culture will take you away from godly values and will take you places that make it harder for you to have your value system with them, not better. The times are evil. So Paul says this, if the current of the culture is going in a direction and going places that you don't want to go and you shouldn't go there, then he says what? Be careful how you walk. See, that makes sense. Be careful how you walk. You can't afford today to go with the flow. Live as wise, not as the unwise, making the most of every opportunity because you don't have all the time in the world. So don't waste a minute of it. And then Paul adds one more twist, and he writes this, and it's almost as if he's specifically writing it to Christians who are really really good and by that way by that I mean all of us we are really good at finding loopholes and doing the right thing. And so I think Paul kind of leans that way. Here's what he says in verse 17. Therefore he says, so he lists all the things, all the stuff going on, therefore he says, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, let's look at that verse. and Let me clarify it for you a little bit. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. First of all, let's, let's be honest. We Christians are notorious for looking for and for creating loopholes out of doing the right thing. You say, no, we're not really. Yes, we really are, like this. Bible says, forgive. Forgive someone who's harmed you. Okay, I'll do it. But if they're not sorry, shall I really forgive them? Because if they're not sorry, then it's really wasted. And so I am absolutely, I've forgiven them in here, and I'm ready to forgive as soon as they acknowledge that they're sorry. See, we do that. We do that really well. How about this? Let go of all your pains, your hurts from the past. Let go of the hurts from the past. Well, if I, if I let go of them, then it may, it may come across, it makes it sound like they don't matter, and they really do matter. So I should hold on to them because they matter to me. See, that sounds good. And you know, the first one, it makes us sound spiritual. I'm willing to do what God wants, but, or how about this one? God says, I want you to give your money joyfully, generously. I want you to give your tithe, your 10%. I want you to do that joyfully and generously. And you go, Well, oh, absolutely, I will. I mean, as soon as financially I'm in that place to do that, because certainly God doesn't expect me to do that when I'm trying to make ends meet now. And so absolutely, and we feel real spiritual about it. God, just so you know, I'm all in when, when I get to that right point. I learned this past uh, week or so about a couple in our church that are not are, are not struggling, but working hard to make the financial ends meet and all those pieces. And they have a new strategy. They're going to up their giving to God. Just so you know, they get it. They understand it. They understand the principle that you can't outgive God. But see, typically, what we do is we look for loopholes. We look for the ways that kind of get us out of it so let me phrase this verse with all of the Greek meanings in place that makes it really easy to understand Here, here's how it translates so stop kidding yourself you look foolish when you try to rationalize why you can't and why you won't do the right things that honor God so you actually know what God's will is so just go do it I should write up my own translation of the Bible don't you think don't you get that clear as I'm studying and I'm reading, I'm going, that is exactly right. That's when he says, don't be foolish. He goes, don't fool yourself. And you look like a fool when you try to rationalize your bad behavior. You know what God wants you to do. Just go get it done. Remember that thought when we come to the end. Paul says, you know what God's will is. Just go do it. Be careful then how you live. Be careful how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Here we go. See, the litmus test for every situation, the litmus test for every major decision the litmus test for every invitation, for every, every next major step, is not the question, what is everyone else doing? It is not the question, what did I do last time? It's not the question, well, can I get away with it? It's not the question, is it legal? It's not the question, well, what will make me the happiest now? That's not the question. The question is this, well, what's the wisest thing to do? There's the question what's the wisest thing to do that's the question that we're going to explore together in the next couple weeks but let's personalize it so the general question is what's the wise thing to do but let's make it personal so in your own mind ask it like this what's the wisest thing what's the wise thing for me to do what's the wise thing for me to do now let me I'll say wrap up but don't get excited um I'm working an application now, but I'll say it again when I mean it. This time I don't. So here, let me wrap up. Let me tell you why it's so important for you to personalize this. Let me tell you why it's so critical that you just don't use the statement, what's the wise thing to do, but you actually use, what's the wise thing for me to do? It's so critical because when you hear a series like this, when you hear a sermon like this, when you hear a question like this, what's the wise thing to do? Every one of us thinks of someone else who should hear the message every one of us. We hear this and we go, oh, you know who should hear this. My wife should hear this. My husband should hear this. And if you're sitting next to him, you're thinking, I hope he's listening. (laughs) Right? My daughter should hear this. I'm going to get this and send it to my son. Man, he should hear this. And I say to you, no. This is for you. And this is for me. I need this. What's the wise thing for me to do now to make this personal i want to i want to give you show you three aspects three different frameworks that you have to ask this question in trust me this isn't hard when you hear it's going to flow and you're going to of course but let me give you three frameworks to ask this question that will make it personal to you now here's the thing though we are so stinking smart and though i am so brilliant i'm also the most easiest person to deceive I deceived myself so well. How can we be so smart and yet be so easily deceived? And yet this question kind of gets at it. And the fact is, friends, that very few of us will look back at our worst decision of our life and honestly say, I don't know how I got there. Did you hear that? Few of us, if any... Will ever look back at the worst moment, worst decision of our lives, and be honest and be able to honestly say, I don't have any idea how I got there. No. I know exactly how I got myself into that mess. I wanted that. I convinced myself of that. I talked myself into that. I made a series of one wise decisions, and one went to another, to another, to another. I can look at I can exactly how I got in trouble. I purposely walked that path. And that's why Paul says, don't be foolish. Don't fool yourselves. You know what God's will is, go do it. Okay, so when you ask yourself, what's the wise thing for me to do? I'm going to give you three aspects that make it personal. Here's the first one. Start your questioning like this. In light of my past experience, what's the wise thing for me to do? In light of my past decision, what's the right thing for me to do? In light of my past happenings in life, uh, my past relationships, my past spending, what's the right thing for what's the, the wise thing for me to do? So your past experiences in life and your, 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 uh, your experience, your life situations, speak volumes, speak volumes as to what the wise thing for you to do today will be. Your past decisions and your past mistakes and your past bad moments speak volumes into what's the wise thing right now. Your past is your past, but it doesn't have to be your future. So make sure you get that. Your past is past, but you've got a future in front of you. But it will be. Your past will be your future. If you don't learn to ask that question. What happened the last time that he called and I picked up? What happened the last time she called and I picked up? What happened the last time that I spent the night? What happened the last time I went with my friends and just hung out like they wanted me to do? What happened the last time I did? Whatever, fill in the blank. But what happened last time? And review that and ask the question. So based on what happened then, what's the wise thing right now? Um, you've heard this said before, history repeats itself. You know why history repeats itself? Do you know why history repeats itself personally in our lives? Because we don't ask the question, what's the wise thing now based on what I did then? You don't ask yourself that question, you're in trouble. In your life, relationally, bad relationships, I guarantee, will keep happening. History will repeat itself. Bad financial decisions will keep happening you don't ask that question I can't tell you through my years of counseling how many people how many couples I have I have counseled and spent time with who have gotten themselves out of deep debt a dozen times think about that Ah, oh, we got to get ourselves out of trouble and they do it five years later bah we got to get ourselves out of trouble and they do it bah we got to. what happens they're not going back and saying what has my past told me about my future that's a key question In light of my past decisions, what's the wise thing for me to do? So let's keep going. Next one. In light of my current circumstances, in light of the current situation that I'm in, what's the wise thing to do? Let's just say you just got married, newlyweds. And when you were single, you had a a tradition that every year you and your four or five of your best friends took three weeks off, three-week vacation, and you went skiing, just a group, and you went off skiing out west. Now, winter's coming, and all your buddies are going, hey, let's get our date. You're brandly, brand new, newlywed, married. What's the wise thing to do in the current situation? You just had your first baby. What's the wise thing to do? You're just starting a new job. What's the wise thing to do based on my current, my current circumstances? All your friends, your college, all your friends, are taking off for the weekend they're going to do something you really want to go but the truth of it is you're behind in one course you could get caught up in light of my current situation what's the right thing for me to do guys let me help you out here you just said something horrible and got yourself into a deep 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 hole with your wife it's slowly gonna get better but right now man you are in trouble and you announce that you're going to go out and buy new golf clubs. What's the wise thing to do in light of your current circumstances? Let me give you the last one. In light of my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? Now listen, this one all by itself is so profound. In light of my future hopes and dreams. You see, we are, we are all old enough to have had some hopes and dreams that we've squandered, Right? We've all old enough to have a couple of hopes and dreams that have kind of gotten away with through, got, got away from us through the years with some bad decision. What a tragedy to trade in tomorrow for something today that only satisfies for a moment. And then, let's be honest, every single one of us have done this. This is not a moment where you can think of who this is for. This is for me. Friends, it's always a bad idea to trade in what you really want and what you really need in the future for something that only satisfies for a moment in this moment. This one component alone, if you will use it, if you will ask it, will save you in your life so much heartache and pain. Some of us run with people that are taking us down a wrong path. Why? Because their idea of future hopes is tomorrow. Their idea of future hopes is the next party, the next weekend. Don't let someone else take you down that path. Ask yourself, based on my hopes and dreams for the future, what's the wise thing for me to do? Why would you want to squander your future for something or for someone that's only here for a moment? You see, this idea, this personal vision for your future is an incredible catalyst to making right choices. So many times if I would have stopped in a moment and said, What I'm about to do, does it help me get there or does it hurt me? Would have radically changed my life if I just would have asked the question. So for the next few weeks, we're going to explore this one question and how it applies in different scenarios. Now, let's be done. Now I'm closing, just so you know. Now I'm wrapping up. But here's your homework. Your homework this week, as often as you can remember to do it, you're not going to remember it all the time. I got it. I don't expect anyone to go through life all week going, what's what's the wise thing, what's the wise thing? That would not be the wise thing to do, to do that every moment of your life. So, as you remember it this week, whenever those situations come up when you need to act or need to decide, or maybe you might even go back in your life and review some life moments and kind of look back and say, you know, based on that event, what was the wise thing I should have done? Maybe do that as well. But would you ask the question, in light of my past, What's the wise thing for me to do? In light of my current situation, what's the wise thing for me to do? And in light of my hopes and dreams for the future, what's the wise thing for me to do? I'm going to ask you to start thinking in those terms. Now, if you do it, let me end it with this. Here's what you're going to find out about yourself. You're going to learn something about yourself. Guarantee it. If you're willing to ask those questions, here's what you're going to learn. If you're a teenager and you ask that question, God, what's the wise thing for me to do based on my past and current and future? You're going to go, oh, that answer sounds eerily familiar. You see, if you ask the question, God will answer it. And if you're a teenager, your your answer is going to sound eerily familiar. You're going to find yourself going, huh, that sounds an awful lot like what my mom and dad have been saying all along. Isn't it amazing that he would speak through your parents? If you're a guy and you're thinking, okay, what's the right thing for me to do? What's the wise thing? You're going to go, ah, oh, you're married. It sounds an awful lot of what my wife has been saying to me. Isn't it something that God would use your wife to speak to you? And if you're a woman married, you think that, you're going to say, huh, it sounds an awful lot like what my husband said last night. If you're not married, you're single, you're going to ask that question, and I guarantee somewhere along the way you're going to go, you know what, i got a friend that said that same thing to me. If you're an employer... You ask that question and you're gonna go you know that sounds just like something my employees told me a long time ago you're gonna learn something about yourself you're gonna learn that if you ask the question you probably knew what the will of God was all along but you just didn't do it and now you got a moment to go back and say so based on that how do I want to live my life going forward so final words So you don't have all the time in the world. So be careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Stan, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your truth and for speaking it to me. Not speaking it through me, not speaking it from me, speaking it to me. For everything I've talked about this morning hits me between the eyes. Is something that I need to practice, I need to be better at. So I pray that you'll help me even later in the week and later in the series when I'm thinking about something, I go, oh, so-and-so should hear that. Stop me and remind me, nope, Scott, that's for you. I pray this morning that every person who's here watching, listening, seeing, or hearing here online, whether this morning live or weeks later, when they hear this, they will go, oh, that is for me. Thank you, God, for being so gracious that you speak into our lives. Dismiss us in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.